Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience Show, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. So this episode will be visiting Cambodia, Poland, the Pacific Ocean, France, India, and the UK in Around the World in Six Stories. And on the big discussion this week, we talked about whether you'd rather be the oldest or youngest of your brothers and sisters. We'll be visiting Egypt in fact or fiction. And on the Youth Spotlight, we share news of another young person who's doing amazing things to help older people lead better quality of lives. And in Life Skills, I was joined again by our favourite fireman, Alan, who talked me through how to keep safe on the roads. And in the Language Corner, we look at the world's fastest spoken language. This is the Learn and Experience Show. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting first? So we are off to Cambodia, where royal turtles have laid, have laid five clutches of eggs in a conservation centre. This is the first time ever the species has laid eggs in captivity in Cambodia. So the royal turtles, also known as Southern River Terrafins, are listed as critically endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature due to threats including habitat loss from pollution, development, agriculture and poaching. So they're known as royal turtles because their eggs had once been considered a delicacy for the Cambodian royalty. But conservationists with the Ko Kong Reptile Conservation Centre have been working to breed the animals in captivity to bolster their numbers. Earlier this year, five royal turtles laid clutches totaling 71 eggs at the conservation centre. It's the first time that the captive female royal turtles have ever laid eggs since they were head started at the centre in 2006. Ko Kong and Mekong Conservation Project Manager said in a press release that the team will make artificial nests for incubation purposes or leave them as they are. So given the rarity of the species in the wild, the successful egg laying is considered a massive win for Cambodia. So I think this is a good good progress, isn't it? That the, the royals are no longer eating their turtles. I mean, that, that, that sounded quite an old fashioned, cruel thing to do. Yeah, to really kind an of, animal, isn't it? But to hone in on one specific animal and go, we're going to eat those. Yeah. Like a sheep or a pig. Yeah, I mean, where do you draw? Yeah, it's, it's true. It's just another animal. Are turtles, what's the difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Have turtles got hard shells? Which ones are which? Tortoises can't swim. That's not the question that I asked. <laughs> What do you mean? Did you say what's the difference between turtles? And... Oh, I did. Sorry. One of them have a like a hot. Do both? They both, no, they have, both hard have hard shells. I think. Oh, yeah. okay. That was a silly question. We are off to Poland now, where they have a curious Easter tradition. There are traditions around the world which are strange for various reasons, uh, with Easter egg hunts and and uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But Poland is a particularly unusual one, where. Uh, the tradition is that you have a giant water fight. The tradition called Lani Konyedzawik, which translates as Wet Monday, 
is held um, across Central Europe, in fact, but it's especially celebrated in Poland, where it began in the 14th century with the uh, baptism of the first king of Poland back in the days when it was a republic. And uh, it, it, it basically has evolved over time into a giant water fight. Traditionally, guys soak the girls on the Monday, and then Tuesday is the time for revenge with girls soaking the guys. So it's a bit gender, uh, gender, gender, uh, what's the word? It's a bit genderized for my, for my taste, but it's, um, it sounds like quite a lot of fun. Your, your, uh, your girlfriend's from Poland, isn't she, Mike? She is, yeah, and she has said that she doesn't participate in this particular tradition. But she, has she heard about it? She's heard of it, yeah, because it, it is a big thing. Big thing. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, as I said, it's in Central Europe, but it's also in other countries at different times of year. The Thais, for example, love to get wet uh, around the New Year. They love to chuck water over each other. Cool. Um, so I am going right into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, where the world's oldest known wild bird has been found, a 70-year-old albatross named Wisdom, and she is still surprising scientists. So since last autumn, she and her mate have been sitting on an egg, and last month they, the, their chick hatched. So the Midway Atoll is made of two small islands in the Pacific Ocean, about halfway between the US and Asia. The area is home to about 3 million seabirds who return there every year to mate, lay eggs and raise their chicks. About 1.3 million of these are these Laysan albatrosses and they are huge. They are the, one of the biggest birds in the world their wingspan is over two meters, so six and a half feet from wingtip to wingtip, and they spend most of their lives soaring over the sea. Uh, in 1956, which is when Wisdom was five years old, she was tagged by a scientist named Chandler Robbins. And in 2002, when Mr. Robbins returned to Midway, he found uh, he found that Wisdom was still alive and that she was over 50 years old, and which was a great surprise because before that, they thought that albatrosses lived till about 35, year old, 35 years old. So albatrosses normally just have one partner, but because Wisdom has lived for so long, she's had several partners. Um, they've named her partner Eikikamai, I think that's how you pronounce it, and he's been her partner since 2012. And they've had one chick every other year for the last 11 years. So good old wisdom. What, what's this, what, what do they think the secret was to uh, longevity? Been alive? I think, uh, yeah, good question. Who, who knows? I think their research has just shown that albatrosses live a lot longer than they think they thought they did. And probably most of their the death is to do with, you know, kind of in being at sea or starvation or something, not necessarily, not necessarily biological reasons. So it just shows that they can live for a long time and they're still fertile, obviously. And um, yeah. 
Okay, so we're off to France now, where scientists have started the work to find a meteorite that fell to Earth earlier on this year. The scientists have told residents to keep an eye on any possible sightings of the rock, including a small pebble around the size of the apricot reported by a news website. The meteorite was, was detected by nine cameras and more than 80 public records from across France. So according to the scientists, the meteorite weighed just 500 grams and that only 150 grams of the rock was captured getting to Earth by cameras at an astronomy education facility in Maranon. The meteorite was tracked so precisely in a rare case and now researchers hope that they will be able to find the rock near Aguillon. Scientists usually see between two and four meteorites enter the atmosphere every week and they rarely get to track the exact place of a landing of a meteorite. According to the calculations made by the scientists, the meteorite the meteorite reached speeds of 21 kilometers per second and around 7, 75,000 kilometers per hour. They've also suggested that it could originally come from the asteroid belt between the planets Mars and Jupiter. Wow. I don't know how they know where it's come. This is all completely blows my mind that there's just lots of rocks falling on the earth quite frequently even at the size of, you know, a small pebble or an apricot would still hurt if it hit somebody. So this just all kind of, I've never really considered this before, stuff falling from the sky. I suppose there doesn't want to be too much information about it because you'd just be constantly <laughs> nervous, wouldn't you? <laughs> like the likelihood of it hitting you is prob probably very low, but there will be someone at some point, I'm sure. Well, talking of low odds, we're off to India next. And uh, if you think that the Rubik's Cube has a, a chance, the chance of getting the Rubik's Cube right is one out of 43 quintillionly possible different combinations. And so that's why it's not surprising that most people spend days, if not months, trying to solve just one. But speed cuber extraordinaire a father bat from Bangalore in India has just established a new Guinness World Record by solving not one, but three Rubik's Cubes simultaneously at an astonishing one minute and 29.7 seconds, 29.97 seconds. The record was previously held by a Chinese teenager, Jianyu uh, Qiu, who completed the same thing in one minute and 36 seconds. So six seconds longer than it took Athava. And Athava, who's always loved puzzles, he said that he became inspired to take up what's called speed cubing after meeting the world champion at the World Cube Association in Bangalore. And he said, my dream is like, my dream began when I, when I met him. And uh, he said that when, when the, the the world went into COVID-19 pandemic. He, he just spent a lot of time meditating and doing this thing at home. I think that's amazing. Wow. Eight yeah, years old. Yeah, so he did, he did two with his hands and one with his foot. No. Yeah, he's doing them at the same time. He's doing two, I mean, one Rubik's cube with your hands is gonna take a week, two weeks. Three weeks. Months. I've completed one. <laughs> is, is, do you have to be shown what, like, I've never, 
I've never tried to do one and I, do you have to be kind of, does it need explaining or do you just like do it and then work there, out? There is a technique, but it's obviously going to be different depending on the setup of the cubes, right? So it could be a random pattern. So there is a technique and there's, you know, it's about the white square in the middle. And I think that you, you work around that, but it's still basically completely random when you get it. Yeah. Which is well, we, just amazing. Well, we will try and reach out to a, a speed cuber and try and get them on. It wouldn't be very good for the audio, but the video would be would be amazing. Uh, so I'm now uh, back in the UK where the education secretary has warned that mobile phones should be banned from schools because lockdown has affected children's discipline and order. So Gavin Williams, Williamson, who's the education secretary, uh, said that phones should not be used or seen during a school day. Though he said schools should make their own policies. So phones can act as a, as a he said that phones can act as a breeding ground for cyberbullying and social media can damage mental health. It's now, now time to put the screens away, especially mobile phones. Technology has been invaluable in keeping children learning during lockdown and we support its use. But outside the classroom, the use of mobile phones distracts from healthy exercise and good old fashioned play. So what do you two think about mobile phones at school? I think if mobile phones were in existence when I was at school, I would, I wouldn't be a very good student. I think I'd be on my phone a lot. And I think the cyberbullying thing is, is massive. It's a really, really big thing that's kind of getting a bit out of control. And I think if the children have <clears throat> less access to their phones during the school day, I think that's probably a good thing. But yeah, that's, that's my two cents. Yeah, I think the genes out of the bottle in the sense that we can't ban something that's already out there. Uh, it, it, it's a bit like banning slang in schools. Slang is always going to be in schools. Uh, and, and to ban mobile phone usage just seems like the wrong, it just seems utterly pointless and futile to my life. I think there has to be guidelines on when the kids can use them, but I also think phones can be hugely useful in finding stuff out about subjects. And if used in the right way, I think mobile phones could be a very good tool for students and teachers. So I think I'm definitely on the side of not planning something. And I also think that the education sector might do a bit better job if he came and talked to teachers rather than sat on his high horse in Westminster. That's what I think. Okay, that was Around the World in Six Stories. Okay, Julie, the big discussion this week. So we had a really interesting conversation uh, with our lovely young people and we had a chat about um, where they were in their family unit with regards brothers and sisters, if they were the oldest or youngest or middle child and what they'd rather be and what the kind of positives and negatives are for being where they were. So, um, Sam, are you the, the eldest or youngest or middle child in your family? I'm very, very obviously the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, what about you? I am also very, very obviously the middle child. 
and we'll get into why you guys are saying that in a second. Um, I'm the youngest of two, so I've got an, I've got an older brother. So why do you say that, Sam? Why do you say very obviously the youngest? I'm the youngest of four, uh, two brothers and a sister. They're quite a bit older than me, so seven, ten, and eleven years older. Um, and I was basically spoilt, you know, basically uh, had it my own way. Uh, had more time just me and my parents so obviously that brings its bonuses as well uh, but also had some of the uh, things that maybe like hand-me-down clothes and stuff like that and yeah but I wouldn't change it I think it's great being the youngest you get away with a lot more I think so you wouldn't change it you're quite you were quite happy with your where, uh, you, where you were placed yeah no oh. completely completely happy <laughs> and what about you mike very happy as well uh being the middle child of four uh i'd say that everything my sister my older sisters did uh meant that i wouldn't be able to do anything as bad in my parents eyes uh, which is really good and i also feel like i think my ability my, my sort of willingness to please other people comes perhaps from from uh, having two older sisters as well. So that'd be a, you know, that's just an observation about knowing myself, I think. It uh, was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting seeing my brother go through the, <clears throat> the different stages and go through like going off to uni and things. It was always very interesting watching that. And I think actually he maybe got away with more stuff than I did because they didn't really, I don't know, maybe he, he had it easier. But I always wanted a younger sibling. I always wanted to be the one to kind of look out for somebody and and have, I don't know, and 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 have that. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because um, you're the youngest of two, mm. so essentially, in my family, you'd be the second oldest. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just happens that your parents didn't have any more children. Mm. So I would say what your observation is it's probably quite accurate in our family a little bit but then there's two more after that um that and i and i've got two children as well and i think with with maddie like she's the eldest and she's uh you know we've we've trialed things on her not got it quite right so <laughs> it's like you know dotty has has a different maybe maybe a different emphasis on on our second one but I think it depends where you are within the family, like within if there's four of you or two of you or three of you. And because you're quite close in age as well, aren't you? There's quite. Yeah, there's three years between us. Three years, yeah. Yeah, and I guess that would make a difference what the age gap is as well. Um, well, anyway, very, very interesting um, um, to hear that from you both. Um, and let's let's listen to our, our young people talk through the the pros and cons of of being the eldest or the youngest um in their family unit has anyone got younger siblings that have been allowed to do something earlier like maybe they're allowed to go see their friends when they are seven they're allowed to walk to their friend's house and you weren't allowed to do it till you were nine or oh yes like that because that's what would happen i'd have to be the first one yeah, well, my sister um, had a phone, like, um, I think 
uh, at 10 and I just had it at 11. I know it's not that big deal, but still, it's not that. You have a list, don't you? You've got like a list <laughs> of stuff. Like, I'm going to write this down. I want to keep track of all of this. Huh. Well, I, I tell my sister that uh, if, if she's going to tell it to mum, I'm going to tell something else that she did. But I never actually do it. That's so. the same for me. Just my sister's doing something and she's going to, and when I'm doing something, she's going to say, yeah, I have to turn it to mum. And I'll say, yeah, I'll do it also, but I'm never going to do it. <laughs> Time again, we've got fact or fiction, and we are visiting Egypt. Anyone got got any connection to Egypt? I like pyramids. Um, are they in Egypt? <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> Never been to Egypt. Mike, family there or? No, my mummy, my mummy didn't come from Egypt. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <sighs> I've just got it. <laughs> it's because you're so well traveled. You just assumed that your mum might, in fact, be. Yeah, I was thinking. Is why she? does he call her mummy still? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, why have I forgotten your mum's name? Gail. Gail. Gail's not very Egyptian. Does not very Egyptian sounding. Okay, fact number one. The population of Egypt is 50 million. I'm gonna go with- No, Julie, Julie, Julie goes first. Why? <laughs> You're such a meanster. I'm going to say, of course, the population is not 50 million. No population of a country is an exact number. So you've shot yourself with a foot there, Sam. I'm going to say false. Fiction. Fiction. Higher or lower? That's not the game. I, I have honestly no idea. 50 million. I'm going to say there's, oh, no, more, I think. So I'm going to say fiction because I think there's more. I'm going to join you on fiction for the same reason. I mean, if Sudan which is also in Africa and is also a big country, has a population of 60 million, then Egypt has got to be bigger than that. So I reckon it's fiction because it's a lot bigger than 50 million. You're both correct. It is in fact 104 million people who live in Egypt. Okay, the capital city of Egypt is Alexandria. Well, if we're talking capital city of 2021, I'd say fiction. But I think it was the capital at one point or another in its ancient history of Egypt. I believe Alexandria was kind of where the pharaohs used to hang out and a lot of the stuff, the big decisions were made in Alexandria. But I would say fiction because I think the capital is somewhere else. You're so smart. How'd you get so smart? I'm going to say fiction because I believe it's also somewhere else. I had no idea that it, that place, Alexander, could have perhaps been the capital at some point. But I'm going to say fiction because I think it's somewhere else. Can I just confirm, just because he said it, does it mean it's true? 
<laughs> of course it does. He was so, <laughs> I just believe him. He sounds so sure of himself. Funny. Okay. Uh, you're both correct. Well done. It is. Cairo? Alexandria. Yeah, let's, let's fact check him. I'll Google it. And Cairo, anyone, this is not one of the uh, uh, statements, but anyone know what the population of Cairo is? 50 million. 50 million. Yes. Wow. So over half the population, or yes. just under half the population. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big old city, is that? Mike, can't look it up. No. Oh, I'm deleting some of my emails. There you go. Alexandria was the capital for almost a thousand years. Bonus point, eh? Lucky. Shame we don't do them. <laughs> How many was the population? Was the population of Cairo? Uh, Twenty-one million. So it was close. The national symbol of uh, Egypt is a golden eagle. Just trying to think. Yeah, I just uh, it's football, mostly World Cup football that I can remember things from. I think there is an eagle. I'm not sure of the color, and that's where you might be trying to swindle us. Not that that's just all you do is try to swindle us. Um, golden eagle. I'm going to say fiction. I think it is a, a a bird of some sort. Yeah, fiction. I mean, fact. Sorry, fact. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to say fact. But I think that if you're going to have an eagle on your flag, it's going to be the golden one. It's not going to be some sort of grey, tawdry, tawdry, boring colour. It's going to be majestic and golden. I think the golden eagle is the right answer. Um, you're both right is, again. It is the national symbol and it's actually on their flag. Uh, Egypt borders uh, the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea, and it also shares borders with Israel, Libya, Sudan, and Palestine. Sudan is the longest border that shares with Egypt. Fact or fiction? Well, I can just about see the map in the background, Sam, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> and say that it's fact. Because Sudan's pretty huge. Egypt's, I'm just going to say fact for one of the better answers. There's a lot of variables there. So I'm going to say fiction just because of all the things that you said that it does, maybe one of them isn't correct. So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I'm going to say fiction. <laughs> going to go with that. Uh, unlucky Julie strayed from your path uh it is a fact it's very close though libya uh as you look at it libya does look like uh it's pretty close to sudan but sudan is in fact the longer the longer border the nile is the longest river in the world 
Hmm. <laughs> We've had something about the longest river in the world before. And I think it was the second longest that we had. So I'm going to say back. The Nile is the longest river in the world. It's one of those questions that we quizzed on at school, wasn't it? Geography lessons. I think it's fact. I think it's just longer than the, the other one, the big one. The, What's the big uh, one called again? Which is the other one, Mike? <laughs> Amazon, Amazon. Yeah, the, uh, the Amazon. The Amazon one. Yeah, you're both right. It was uh, not a trick question, but I we had had the Amazon, so I was seeing if you'd remembered that knowledge. And the Amazon was the second, and and uh, the Nile is the longest river in the world. So Egypt is one of the most popular. Uh, tourist destinations people visiting for the great pyramids of Giza which is one of the seven wonders of the world in 2018 1.2 million people visited the pyramids I'm going to I'm going to say fiction because of your face <laughs> when you read it out when we just turn the cameras off for this part, I'm going to say fiction because I think it is more than that because it's so popular. Do you think it's more popular than the Eiffel Tower? Um, is the Eiffel Tower more accessible to more people? Ergo, making it more visited so when you use the word popular like there's more most more visited i don't know if maybe you know what i mean <laughs> the eiffel tower is more um it's easier to get to across yeah. i don't know yeah. Yeah, yeah don't know uh i'm gonna join you though there julie on the uh, fiction pile yeah i'm uh living up to my reputation of as a terrible liar <laughs> <laughs> you just stammered for like a half a millisecond before you read out the two. You went one point two. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Twelve million. Twelve million people uh, visited. Wow. Okay, that was factual fiction. Mike is the winner this week. Very, very close though, only by one. Well done, Julie. Well done, Mike. Julie. The mic. Yeah, so uh, you spotlight. Remember a few episodes we we talked about Yemma, uh, uh, we talked about Emma Yang. Emma Yang, that uh, young girl who created an app called Timeless, which helps patients who've got Alzheimer's. Yeah. Well, this week, we share our news of another young person who's doing amazing things to help older people lead better quality of lives. 10-year-old Abigail Lupi um, visited her grandmother in a nursing home. And like many others who, who do that, she became aware of, of the struggle with loneliness that many nursing home residents face, including her grandma. And so to support and comfort these residents, she founded 
an organisation called Care Girls. And what Care Girls do is that they go, they go into these residences and nursing homes across the state of New Jersey in America, and they sing and they dance to the residents to, to bring them some joy. And they performed over 20 shows to, uh, with, with a repertoire of 90 different pop, pop, popular songs and Broadway songs. And they've, they've just brought smiles to over a thousand people. And uh, what, what a remarkable thing to, to do, I think, to, to bring the ages together and to bring some joy into, into nursing homes. I think that's a really good thing. So good. So good. And that, you know, it's just uh, everyone wins from it, don't they, right? So it's just a lovely, really lovely story. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Uh, Julie, your life skills this week. Okay. So I was joined again by our favorite fireman, Alan, um, who came and had another conversation with me, but this time we had a chat about how to keep safe on the roads. So Alan has spent a lot of time teaching young people how to keep safe um, keep safe on the roads as through his job as a fireman, he's attended a lot of road traffic accidents. So Alan became involved in Central Safe Drive um, about 15 years ago uh, to help try and reduce the numbers of, of, of deaths and injuries uh, visited upon young people, um, young road users in, in his area. So in his work, he speaks to a lot of teenagers and he organizes this really big conference each year. And at the conference, he invites some amazing people to come and tell um, some of their stories to school children. And one big thing that he teaches young people is that every person is responsible for their own safety. So understanding the roads and making good decisions is key. Alan said the roads have, have changed over the past few years with the increase of electric cars and motorcycles. So we've got to be even more aware of our surroundings than ever before. We can't just rely on our ears to check if something is, is coming. We have to really look carefully before stepping out into the roads. He also suggested that wearing bright colors, especially in the winter or at night, is really, really helpful in ensuring cars and motorcycles can see you. Um, he also explained that although there are certain places that you're able to cross the road, um, you can't always assume that a car or motorcycle is seeing you. So you do have to be really careful, even if you think you've maybe got, you know, the right of way. Also, for any teenagers who are, are possibly listening to this and or who, who are maybe starting to learn to drive or or be in the car with their friends, it's really, really important to remember that the driver needs to concentrate on what they're doing. So enticing them maybe to play music or to drive fast is definitely not a good idea. Also, do remember if you are ever in the car and you're not happy with the way that the other driver is driving, you can always ask the person to stop so you can get out to keep yourself safe. There's also um, lots of really fun online games that you can play um, to help you understand how to keep safe in the roads and kind of show you where where dangerous things are. So I just want to say very, very a big thank you to to Fireman Allen, who is actually retiring really, really soon. So we just want to thank him for coming onto the podcast again and imparting his his wisdom. Thank you, Fireman Allen. So we've done the, the world's oldest language and we've done the world's most spoken language, but we haven't talked about the world's fastest spoken language until now. Did you know that Japanese is the most, the, the language that's spoken fastest out of all of the languages? 
7.43 syllables a second, which is how a language is, is, is measured in terms of speed. It's how many syllables per word that you speak the language in. And Japanese clocks up uh, as being fastest, almost as fast as its golden bullet trains, which it's very famous for as well. Um, English is actually the 11th fastest language. Uh, so quite, quite low down the list. Spanish comes in at number two. So if you often, I teach Spanish and I, I hear people who, when they, when they listen to Spanish, they, 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 they freak out and they say, oh, this is just really quick to understand. And there is a reason for that is because they are the second fastest language spoken. Number three, I think is Basque, the, the language spoken in Spain. And, uh, and, and then there's a whole load, load of lists uh, a whole load of uh, other languages on the list. But uh, an interesting one, Japanese is the quickest spoken language in the world. So if you want to get your point across quicker, Mike, do you just speak in Spanish? Get more, <laughs> get more words out. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, it's, Spanish is a funny one because I always thought they were quite relaxed and slow and kind of manana and take a siesta. But actually their language itself, they're quite quick to get through the words. Yeah. Okay, spelling bee. Have we got our spelling bee minds on? Our first word from uh, my first story. Is albatross. Albatross. A-L-B-A-T-R-O-S-S. I'm inclined to agree with you there, Jules. I'm not going to dispute that. Well done. Both correct. Okay, next one. This is from your story, Julie, your second story. Meteorite. <laughs> I think there's a I think I've got an extra R, but I'm gonna go M-E-T-E-R. O-R-I-T-E, meteorite. Yeah, I think that's right. Both of you are wrong. Oh, yeah, extra R? An extra R in there. Yeah. So, First R. So it's, it's meteo, meteorite. M-E-T-E-O-R-I-T-E. -E. <sighs> I thought that. Mm-hmm. And then from our Egyptian fact or fiction. Pyramid. I can safely say I've never written this word down in my life. Pyramid. P-Y-R-A-M-I-D. Pyramid. Yeah, unlike the Spanish, you stick an extra E on the end. Uh, or an extra E, just an E. Uh, and French, I think you also do that. But Spanish, uh, we're not doing, we're not speaking Spanish or French. So we're doing it in English. And the answer I think is agreed. I'm going to go with, that's correct. Pyramid. P-Y-R-A-L. Longest ever. Longest. <laughs> you could have just said, yes, I agree. Uh, uh... Uh, correct. Well done. Uh, by default this week, Judy wins. Uh, because uh, Mike didn't take 
the opportunity to beat her on meteorite uh but mike you did equally as well so well, well, done, well, done. well done well done Jules. okay that was the learn and experience show goodbye julie goodbye mike goodbye sam goodbye everybody We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience show, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can follow us on our social media platforms on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can find out more information about what we do on our website, learnandexperience.com.